Hello and welcome back to the Throwing Strikes podcast. Well, this is a segment. Um, we've done six or seven. I think we've done six already of Throwing Strikes podcast. But this is going to be a new segment called the Media Spotlight. And today we got our friend who is a contributor for Prep to Prep uh, covering high school sports and also a freelancer for the San Francisco Chronicle and San Francisco Examiner, Ethan Castle. Ethan, how you doing? Not bad, all things considered. You know, at this point, kind of used to the kind of weird realm we, we're currently in, trying to fill the void as best we can, and then hopefully be back in stadium on a daily basis as soon as possible. Exactly. And I got to ask you this. How many times do you hear your last name pronounced Cassell? It happened so much that I put it in my Twitter bio. Yeah, because for the longest time, I thought your last name was Cassell. And then you put it in your Twitter bio, and I looked at it one day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been saying his name. Thank God I didn't come up and say it to his face because that would have been bad. (laughs) Oh, no, it's okay. It happened so much. But, like, you know, it's pronounced like, you know, Matt Castle, the QB, if, if, if you remember that name at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned all this free time that we have due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, and we find ourselves picking up new hobbies. I've been playing a lot of out-of-the-park baseball. I've been um, <laughs> eating. <laughs> uh, so what have you been doing to keep busy during this time? And uh, any new hobbies, just some of your activities that you've been doing? Well, Finally got around to watching the sitcom The League, which is brilliant. Highly recommended to anybody, not just for the football stuff, but it's just a really brilliant show altogether. The main creators for it had a role in Seinfeld and just really funny, messed up, dirty show with a lot of great references that came out of it. Things that I didn't realize, like phrases that people use commonly that originated in this show. Um, Other than that, I don't have any of the more like up-to-date consoles, so I'm not playing like MLB The Show. However, still play NCAA 14 because it's the most recent college football game. Playing that on the Xbox 360, been going deep into my dynasty mode with that, and then trying to experiment a little with live streaming and stuff and getting podcasts started. Um, so a couple of the people that I think really highly of in the sports media industry are Cespedes Family Barbecue, who hopefully most of your viewers and listeners are familiar with. And one of the things they've been doing is what they call the backyard baseball power hour. They've been bringing out backyard baseball computer game from the early two thousands and not only playing it, but watching like games with computer teams facing each other, which is fun. Cause you know, unlike classic games, you know, where you know what happens, this is totally unpredictable. And on top of that, they've been doing it with some really fun guests. Like just last night, actually, they had Ryan Yarbrough on from the Tampa Bay Rays. They've had, who else? A couple other really good ones. They've had Cole Tucker, Nick Heath, who's a Royals prospect. Um, Jason Benetti, the White Sox broadcaster, has been on like three times now. So he's basically an expert at this point. And <laughs> I've just been digging up all these old games I used to play when I was like, you know, seven, eight years old. And man, they still got some value still hold up pretty well have you been playing it too yeah um been trying to get through some stuff with the entire backyard sports series and i'm going to start live streaming actually I just wanted to go back through and unlock all the stuff again it's, you know it's like when you want someone to play a mario kart tournament and they only have the most basic stuff unlocked that's 
that's not fun. Yeah. So I felt like I should take it upon myself to go back and, you know, unlock all those things so that people get the full experience. And I mean, it's like these games still hold up almost two full decades later with the mix of, you know, they've got, you know, created characters within the backyard universe, but also, you know, professionals who are, you know, designed to be, you know, kids such as on backyard baseball, you know, Frank Thomas, Ken Griffey Jr., <laughs> Barry Bond. So it's, it's fun. So in terms of Major League Baseball, uh, there's discussions with the Players Association and then Major League Baseball on how to reopen uh, the season. Right now, there's pretty much turmoil everywhere on every stretch of the imagination. Um, what are your thoughts on this mayhem? Where do you think that they go from there, from here? Well, I like how the players have handled themselves so far. I like that, you know, they've taken a pretty, you know, stern, hardline approach with, you know, this is what we agreed on months ago. You guys got to honor this with the you know, prorated salaries. I like that they countered with the possibility of not just playing 82 games, which as much as 110. But one thing that I don't like, and I think it was, I forget which analyst mentioned it, whether it was Jeff Passan or it might've actually been Eduardo Perez. It was during one of the KBO broadcasts because at least one of the interviews they have every night is talking about the current labor situation and was saying how, you know, both sides just kind of air their frustrations through media rather than discussing with each other. And I think the most, you know, the most striking example of that was some of the stuff Blake Snell said during one of his live streams. So. Yeah. And Marcus just, Stroman's been saying stuff. Max Scherzer typed out a big paragraph. Uh, it's all over the place. Well, I liked what Scherzer had to say. It was very calculated. It was, you know, it wasn't like he was just, throwing stuff out there. You could tell he had really put some time and effort into what he was saying, whereas Snell, I mean, he was just kind of saying whatever. And this is also, if, if you remember his comments when he found out they traded Tommy Pham, he's just, you know, just kind of letting it fly sometimes. <laughs> and also Buster Posey, one of the, the guys, and I, somebody uh, described him on Twitter as the, uh, the guy that's really safe with his words. He knows what to talk about uh, and when to talk about it. And he even tweeted out a link to an article, and he said, look, this is a neutral article. This is not affiliated with the players. This is not affiliated with the owners. Take a look at this. It's a venture capitalist. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I really liked how he put it He and did something that we all need to always be mindful of. You know, consider your sources, consider bias, and he did that for everyone, and it's – you know, and to have that from a guy who's not just out there saying stuff all the time, it kind of carries more weight. I love hearing what Trevor Bauer has to say because he's <laughs> always got a unique and interesting perspective. His Bauer Bites interviews he did last year, phenomenal. Oh, I, I love him. Watched every single one of those. The brief exchanges I've had with Bauer at games and stuff, he's always entertaining, but you know that he's going to weigh in on everything. It's kind of, it's, it's impactful when you get something from someone like Posey who usually keeps pretty quiet, you know? Bauer is, I love Bauer. I love Bauer to death because um, he's not afraid to express himself. And he talked about like his past hardships, et cetera. Um, and he also talked about, he talks about the flaws of the baseball business. And there are a lot of them. Uh, I think one of the, the, the funny things that, um, Bauer does or Bauer said was you know when he hits free agency 
what he's going to do is he's just going to take one-year deals. Every year he's just going to take a one-year deal and he's going to report back and say how that team was, how the, you know, the, the ownership was, and I think that's a really good idea. So you're an Oakland A's guy. Uh, growing up in the Bay Area, uh, during some of those really, really good A's teams, you know, where you had the big three, Mulder, Hudson, Zito, you had Miguel Tejada at shortstop, um, and then Eric Chavez, you know, playing third base. Do you remember anything about those teams? Absolutely. See, being born in 96, first ever game I went to at the Coliseum was actually on my fifth birthday in 2001. I was at game number 19 of the 20-game streak. You know, movie Moneyball, which is much more about the streak than the whole process. I'd say the book delivers a completely different angle of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's really worth reading if you haven't. Um, but, it, you know, everyone talks about game number 20 of the streak where they blow an 11 nothing lead. Well, game number 19, they actually trailed 5 nothing, had to come back, and ended up walking it off on a, I believe it was a Miguel Tejada single. So that was... That was definitely one of those memories, but just that whole run with those teams. And then the mid-2000s, you know, a couple of years where they came up just short, seeing the Angels clinch in Oakland, but then coming back in 06, and actually the 06 ALDS against the Twins has been televised by both MLBnet and NBC Sports California. And just how fun and unique that 2006 A's team was, you know, being able to channel Milton Bradley and keep him from going completely off the rails. 38-year-old Frank Thomas coming back and not only winning comeback player of the year, but finishing fourth in MVP voting. You know, all of that. That Those teams were really fun. I think that 06 team had something special. If they weren't devastated by middle infield injuries to the point where D'Angelo Jimenez was starting playoff games, Ooh. I would say there's a very good chance they would have won the whole thing. So in terms of your relationship with sports, um, how did your love affair with sports begin? Just as a little kid, it was just always something I gravitated towards. I mean, my dad always had games on. And just even from the very first time I ever went to any live sporting events, it just really held me. Like, in fact, actually, just the anniversary of the very first game I ever went to just passed. Um, I still have... Yeah, I don't have any like specific merchandise or memorabilia from it, but I went back and was able to figure it out. I backdated it May 25th, 2000, Giants Expos. So just like that experience of being at live sporting events always just really got me and being able to have something to just focus on and get so invested in just always really had my attention. Like, you know, if I was sitting there bored in class instead of like doodling or something, I'd, you know, try to, you know, you know, think about who's going to be in the lineup tonight, all sorts of stuff like that. So I would always make always charts in class. <laughs> oh, yeah. Drawing up like depth charts and, you know, trade ideas, all of that. Yeah, it's all fun. So what about baseball? Um, kind of baseball, aside from the other sports, how does baseball compare to them? How does what makes baseball stand out per se? Well, that everything can be statistically analyzed, and yet we're still, you know, sports been played professionally for about 140-some years, and we're still not sure how to perfect it, how to do it right. You know, we're seeing people innovate and change the game constantly. Like, I'm really curious what the next wave is going to be in response to, you know, launch angle, home runs, you know, becoming such a three true outcomes here. I mean, the pendulum's going to swing back and forth that's just natural but i'm just curious 
how it's going to evolve. Like, you know, 10 years ago, if you told someone that throwing high fastballs would be effective, they would have looked at you like you're insane. You know, it used to always be keep it down in the zone. And all of a sudden, you know, guys are launching pitches from low in the zone. No better example of that than Mike Trout. I mean, he's hit pitches at his ankles for homers. And the, if you're ever going to get him to swing and miss, it's going to be on something up. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest evolution for me in terms of pitching, because there's so many hitting. I mean, you could start with the true, uh, three true outcomes. You could start with the taking the walks, the home runs, and I guess maybe um, approach goes for, you know, the, the offensive numbers too, because like you're, you're seeing three, one swings and two, one swings virtually in every count now. So it's crazy, but pitching wise, you would always see, you know, the, I, what I miss so much about pitching, you would always see the, the um, soft tossing lefty in every single rotation in the back end of every single rotation. They all had it. Randy Wolf, you know, Jamie Moyer, I guess Moyer wasn't really- noted A's killer. Jamie Moyer, or <laughs> Jason Vargas, another noted A's Jason killer. Vargas, yeah. Those soft tossing lefties, don't have a spot in the game anymore and it's crazy and also another thing is um you know you always used to hear knock the starting pitcher out early knock the starting pitcher out early now you don't want to do that because these bullpens are absolutely filthy and i think it starts off with those royals teams in the uh with the davis holland and uh, herrera they kind of started it off with hey this is your role this is your inning and now it's just the matchups and everything. It's just crazy. I think Terry Francona changed the game with the way he used Andrew Miller in 2016. I mean, you oh, go yeah. back now and you watch a game from 10 years ago, you see, you know, closer comes in in the ninth inning, and if the game's still tied, he might pitch the 10th. Whereas now, you know, it's, you know, there's been this evolution of leverage situations. And boy, assuming we, you know, if we can get a season in this year, very curious to see how, you know, assume, you assume they'd be in the rotation, but if special circumstances call for it, how guys like Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck would be deployed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lazardo got some time out of the bullpen, obviously, last year. Um, did he make any starts? Um, I don't – I think every appearance he made was in relief. Um, he did have a couple of, like, three innings, but I don't think any of them were technically starts. Mm-hmm. And the same would go for Puck. I don't think either of them technically made a start. Yeah, but he's gonna. They're both gonna be uh, dominant. Now, you as a journalist, yeah, so oh, go on, go for it. Yeah, they're both gonna be starters. Just had there been a deep playoff run last year, which would have happened in a universe where they didn't line up with Charlie Morton, but that's different. Right? It would have been awfully fun to watch just how those guys would have come in, not just to have one of them, but to have both. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So you as a journalist, how did you get involved with sports journalism to begin with? And, and how did that passion, passion uh, kind of develop? Well, you know, like every kid, have the dream of, you know, being a professional athlete. And like most kids around somewhere around the age of 10, you realize, okay, this isn't happening. But instead of, you know, pursuing some desk job or something, I always understood that I want to be involved with sports one way or another. And, you know, from listening to some of the evening shows on KNBR, such as Larry Kruger and then Damon Bruce and things like that, kind of realized, man, this is the life, you know, be able to talk about sports on a daily basis and get paid to do it instead of just something you do for fun in your free time. That would be 
that'll be the way to live. And, you know, whether it's through broadcasting or journalism or anything, it's just something I've always wanted to be involved with. It's a field that I really enjoy. And, you know, I feel like when it comes to careers, there are two approaches you can take. You can either do something you really enjoy and it doesn't feel like you're going to work, or you can do something that, yeah, you might hate it, but it pays so well, it lets you do all the other fun stuff in your free time, which is what I call the investment banker approach. So uh, you also love high school sports and you cover high school sports. Um, why is high school sports? Cause in my opinion, high school sports is so pure. And I think um, a lot of it is so pure. And I know that there's scholarships involved and there's, you know, recruiting involved. Uh, but these kids have fun with each other. There's so much energy. Um, and it's, why is it so distinctive compared to maybe college or pro sports? Well, I especially love high school basketball, and that started from when I was in high school becoming a team manager and just seeing how fun high school basketball is. I think not just is it such a pure form of the sport, it's also, I think, a level of basketball where you've got talent, but you've still got to, you know, master the fundamentals in order to win the game. There are only a couple of game-breaking players out there that come around now and then where you can, you know, just give them the ball every possession. It's still for most of us, it's about, you know, making the most of your possessions, winning the rebound battles, good shot selection. And it's just a really fun version of the game, I think. And just the atmosphere of, you know, having people packed into a small gym, yelling back and forth, you know, that rivalry atmosphere is so neat. But not just that, some of the less huge games are fun to go, like the early season tournaments when you get to get to know all the coaches and stuff, you know, talking with them during downtime. It's just, it's such a fun version of the game. And I think it's, it's a sport that doesn't get enough exposure outside of, you know, Indiana and a couple other places. It's just, it's a really cool version of basketball, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so I've noticed a lot of these high school kids, they're not really trained or used to the media just yet. Um, but for a lot of students, it's really cool to them to know that like there's somebody there watching them and that's, you know, they're going to see their name on a website or a newspaper the next day. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about like, wow, these kids, um, a, you know, these kids, you know, how do, how do I get the best interview out of these kids? Uh, and B like, wow, I'm the one that's kind of telling their story. Yeah. Um, to answer part A of that, you know, trying to get the best interview out of them. I feel like you kind of have to avoid the key and peel skit where they keep interviewing one of their football players, one of their made up football players from the East West Bowl, I believe it was um, Osmataz Buckshank. <sighs> and his answer to every single question, no matter what they ask, was just got to give 100% play as a team, execute. You know, and you've got to avoid that and try to get something insightful, which can be difficult. You know, you, you did want to give something more interesting than they just wanted it more you know that's something that anyone can answer I feel like it's you know there's kind of creating open-ended questions and getting into the details but it's also some of it also just comes from familiarity like I've noticed especially with you know the WTAL basketball teams which I see a ton of once I've seen a team about three times then I can really start to get into the details that's when you start noticing you know not just the star players because, you know, you've got your guys that will be, you know, double-digit scorers every night. 
but you but once you've seen a team maybe three times, you know, then you can see, hey, this guy usually only scores two or three a game. Tonight he scored 12, and that's why they won. And then you get into, you know, interviewing that kid and telling that story instead of just, you know, the same two, three best players did their usual thing. As for, you know, sharing people's stories, you know, it's I think it's really apparent, like, if you're giving some attention to a school that doesn't get a lot of it, like the schools in the Bay Counties leagues, like Stewart Hall, which great level of basketball there it reminds me a lot of like the west coast conference and that you might not have the a plus athletes but you got great coaching and really high basketball iq we also noticed it with like the san francisco public school league it gets outside of their championship games maybe a, maybe one score list a week and you know it's so cool to see people that are appreciative of what you're doing because i mean high school sports is a niche market the other cool one i had and this this might hit a little close to home with your purple and gold background, but like seeing a message on Twitter after St. Francis upset Reardon in the CCS open division basketball this year, seeing that one of the St. Francis players grandparents was following my updates from North Carolina. That was just the coolest thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, So I've seen you go from game to game, uh, sometimes driving um, really like far distance in between I think, and you could tell me if I'm wrong on this, I think I saw you go from cover a Terranova game at Terranova, and then you drove down to Foothill to cover a Reardon, uh, who were they playing? I don't remember. Oh. oh, that day, I think that day was, if I could connect the dots here, and I can could, I could pull it up, I got a list of all the games I've done, but I know that, that that day was just a lot of circumstances kind of lining up. I know that was a day where I had like an afternoon game plus a late game. It was it was probably at SHP. If there's an afternoon game, it's usually at one of the Atherton schools. So I'm pulling this up just because I want to get the details right. But I believe it would have been SHP at home against Terranova. And then the plan from there was to go to the Los Gatos Wilcox game, where Prep to Prep also had a student reporter and he turned into a blowout. And I was flipping through my phone, looking at the other scores, and realized that Reardon and Mitty were locked in a surprisingly Mm -hmm. close game over at Foothill. And I thought, you know what? We've got another reporter here. Let's go see what happens. And ended up being a really interesting game. Unfortunately, pretty bad injury, and that one kind of became the main story. But it was an entertaining game, and it was worth the trek. Let me see here if that is the game it was. Yes. But... Just as it turned out, you know, since Wilcox was rolling and we had another reporter there, I was able to do that. Because I got to say, it's a really frustrating feeling when you pick a game, it ends up being a blowout. And as you're scrolling through other scores, you realize you missed an absolute thriller. Like a couple years ago, doing the Berlin game, Carl Mont CCS football championship. Because I, th- I thought to myself, all right, yes, Valley Christian and St. Francis are really good teams, but you know, they play so conservative against each other. The first meeting was 7-3. It's going to be the same thing here. What do you know? They went double overtime. <laughs> so um, describe kind of like you driving back and forth. Is it like a hassle sometimes, you know, getting late at home, getting home late? What's that like? Well, I'm not a morning person to begin <laughs> with. So that part doesn't bug me. It's as long as traffic's not an issue, and some of this also comes from doing Uber and Lyft on the side, just to pad the wall a little. But um, 
when traffic's not an issue, I don't mind any drive, honestly. When traffic's an issue, I will complain nonstop. Like, the amount of time it took to get to the Open Division semifinals down at Independence was insane. It took um, Vitas Mazeka from the Bay Area News Group two hours to get from San Carlos down to San Jose, if that gives you any My idea. My goodness. But if it's... If traffic's not an issue, I seriously don't mind. And, you know, if I know traffic is going to be an issue, I can set it up in advance. Like, if I'm doing a football game down in the Salinas area, because they love high school football in Salinas, especially at Salinas High, but all the schools there. Like, you know, I'll make a day out of driving down Highway 1, stop off in Santa Cruz. Um, Other than that, like, going out to, like, going out to St. Pat's and Vallejo, just got to make sure to allow time for traffic. But, um. The one really crazy one actually was a couple of years back. I guess it would have been, I guess it would have been 2018 when I was going back and forth between two sites for CCS basketball championships. They were supposed to be at Independence and at Santa Clara University. Why couldn't it have been Santa Clara University and Santa Clara High is beyond me, but not only did that happen. I'm doing stuff for the Examiner and Prep to Prep, plus a freelance article for the San Mateo Daily Journal, since they were stretched in with you know basketball and soccer championships all happening at once. Then it gets even better. The they have a power outage at Independence and oh. pack up and move everything three miles to Piedmont Hills, which actually in a way worked out perfectly because it staggered the start times by like an hour apart. So I was just racing back and forth. Like you had, I ended up catching at least the tail end of the games I didn't expect to see and was able to grab quotes and stuff, plus see, you know, the games I needed to in their entirety. And then the final act of the night ended up pulling back up at Piedmont Hills as Reardon's pulling off a crazy, like, 12-point comeback against Monterey with uh, James Chun and Jelani leading the way. So that was, that was exhausting. But otherwise, it's just... It's fun. Plus, you know, high school basketball games are generally pretty quick. That's why, you know, if people ever ask why you're able to see so many, I mean, at most they're usually an hour and a half, barring crazy circumstances. So you've seen a lot of high school and college athletes come and go. And I was wondering, what are some of the most maybe electric players you've covered? Some of the most unique, some of the best? What is your Mount Rushmore there? Aaron Gordon's by far and away number one. I was a year younger than him. We were actually, um, my junior year, when we ended up winning the Division Three CCS championship at Burlingame, we were in consideration for the Open Division. They gave the spot to Soquel, and Soquel actually nearly upset Mitty, but we nearly had the opportunity to go up against Aaron Gordon, which would have been awesome. Winning our first ever section championship was also awesome, but just going to any Aaron Gordon game was, it's an experience. You would see lines outside. They would be turning away people with the doors. You know, the student section, the opposing school is yelling at him all game, doing everything they can to rattle him. You know, opposing coaches trying to tell the refs, hey, watch for him to throw elbows and stuff. And you knew at some point he'd do something insane. There would be at least one crazy dunk in there. I remember back when they had the WCL tournament, he was in the middle of the key and basically threw an underhand pass off the backboard and jumped up and grabbed it and threw it down. 
There was one at Reardon, actually, where they were up three, got a steal, and could have just dribbled out the clock, but he wanted to put on the show. So we went all the way down the court, took the stretch pass, and threw down this amazing windmill. And just, he's above and beyond. I think it's going to be hard for anyone to top him just because not only was he that good, he had that wow factor. And at the same time, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't a great free throw shooter or anything. So, you know, he was beatable, but at the same time, he was a man among boys. Um, Jalen Lewis just finished his freshman year at Bishop O'Dowd, and he could totally be in that conversation. I think he could be better than Ivan Rabb, who was sensational and played in one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, State championship O'Dowd versus Modern Day at Haas Pavilion. And he gets fouled with less than a second left in OT, airballs the first free throw, makes the second to win it. Um, I'm biased here, but obviously love Frankie Ferrari being a Burlingame and USF guy, knowing him personally. He was one of the more fun players. But also, the entire group of seniors at Burlingame, the year I was a freshman, no D1 basketball players, but you had guys who were just really good high school players, you know, 6'3", 6'4", big rebounders. And one of them, Zach Groats, ended up bouncing around a bunch of colleges as a pitcher, and now he's with the Seattle Mariners in their bullpen. Wow. So you uh, studied uh, media at San Fr- uh, University of San Francisco. So first uh, perspective, maybe students um, that might want to take their studies there. What kind of program do they have when it comes to media? Well, media studies, it's, it's a little broader than, you know, a traditional like broadcast journalism program you get, say, in Arizona State or Syracuse, which are kind of seen as, you know, the more conventional method there but what's neat about media studies at usf is it's a little broader so you're able to kind of kind of personalize it and do what you want with it like a lot of the people that were taking it they were in similar classes that i was were doing it more geared towards narrative film or you know for like social activism film stuff but there's a lot of room to kind of individualize it and do what you want with it I will say learning some of the technical skills with a camera was really time consuming and difficult. Gives me a lot of appreciation for that. The other cool thing was just examining like all the theoretical stuff and some of the trends in pop culture and things like that. Like that the idea of, you know, high culture versus low culture is totally outdated and, you know, how things like keeping up with the Kardashians can actually be tied into college curriculum and things like that. <laughs> I love the, thing, that. the other thing that I loved about USF was I never had an issue with getting a class I needed or an advisor, never got stuck with, you know, an 8 a.m. class. I actually came in with a bunch of credits from high school within a 10 minute meeting with my advisor laid out. All right, you're very close to having a whole year of credits. Take, the, take one of these general classes in the summer we're going to do this class, this class this year instead of the next year, and boom, this is your plan to be done to three years instead of four. Socially, it's a little different for better and for worse. Like, it's great that you get the hands-on stuff with living in a big city. Like, you go to most college towns, and I mean, it's 2 a.m. and you're hungry. You got Jack in the Box and Taco Bell. From USF, you know, you're walking distance from Mel's and Escape from New York. Plus, there's also the, you know, my bus didn't show up. I'm in the mission after getting a burrito. What do I do? And just like hands-on experience like that, that's so useful. One thing that was a little bit frustrating for me was that very few of the students 
cared about the athletic department outside of the other, you know, student athletes supporting other teams. That was definitely a drag, but you know, it's not your conventional college experience by any means, but it's a neat one that you can definitely take a lot out of. So you've also had freelance gigs with the San Francisco Chronicle, the examiner describe what you've done with, you know, some of those two publications. Aside from, you know, some of the high school coverage, some of that's ranged from, Actually, my very first stuff was with the Chronicle, just you know, basically being a stringer for Mitch Stevens. But I kind of at the collegiate and professional level, at the collegiate level with the Examiner, got to do a lot with USF basketball and baseball, mostly just game stories there. But was able to really dig deep, and it was just cool getting that experience. Not only, you know, covering live games and having you know, instant the difference between high school and college and professional, you know. At a high school game, you're keeping your own stats. At a college professional game, all of that's there for you. So you got to do more digging in terms of a unique angle for a story. But what was nice is, you know, at a USF game, most nights there might be a reporter there from the Chronicle. And then if you're playing like BYU or Gonzaga, one of, you know, the reporters from the Spokane or Utah papers. But otherwise, you know, it's kind of your thing. So you're kind of able to establish a good relationship with the coaches and players kind of gets to know them on a more personal level that, you know, at a school like a Kentucky, that just wouldn't be happening. And then professionally had, I've had a few experiences freelancing and filling in covering games, MLB games in both San Francisco and Oakland, just learning the experience of an MLB press box is kind of the conduct there and everything is really neat and kind of just seeing the different personalities that are in there. You see, different environments some people really like to keep things quiet and others like to you know enjoy the third of ball game be conversational um kevin franzen particularly really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit he's a wcal guy bellarmine alum um but just kind of interesting seeing you know the contrast again from a high school game where you're keeping your own stats to you know you've got someone passing you at a college basketball game, they're handing you updated stat sheets at every single time out, even though you've also got it on your computer screen. And at MLB, you've got game notes and every resource. And it's just really fun to watch from this perspective where, you know, you're there, but you're not, you know, as fun as it is to be a fan. And I love that experience. It's cool to see it from this, you know, you're just kind of an observer from up above or, depending on what ballpark you're in. By the way, the press box at Oracle Park, you know, is at the back of the first level. So it's an awesome view, but it's also open air. So it gets cold in there. Whereas the Coliseum, you're up above the second level and the windows are shut. So you're not freezing and you've still got a good view, but it's not like, you know, better view than the broadcasters have. But um, the other thing that I just get a kick out of every time and couple other people have pointed this out too. The uh, Cespedes barbecue you guys have talked about this is like when a stadium's empty and there's no crowd noise on a mic, and you're listening to a broadcast, you can kind of hear the press box announcers. Someone within the press box who's like with the official scorer sends out announcements within the press box. And they're always, for some reason, really close up to the microphone. And, you know, you might hear things like, for example, you know, that was Austin Slater's first career stolen base or final line for Sean Mania, seven <laughs> innings, six hits. And 
just seeing that up close is really funny. I think my favorite of all, I forget if it was in Oakland or San Francisco, but they, you know, it was a ball that dropped in between two guys that just like miscommunicated the pl- sort of play that everyone knows should be an error, but you, but you know, you can't call one. You can just hear the disgust in their voice as they say, base hit. <laughs> All of that stuff is just, it's neat to see. So, um, finally, you have some experience as a youth baseball umpire. So that must be absolutely amazing. That sounds absolutely amazing to me. And I'm sure you have some pretty good stories. Have you thrown anybody out? <laughs> That's what I want to know. No. And there's only one time I ever really wanted to. There's this one coach who was just on every umpire for everything. And I really regret not giving him more than a warning to this day. I mean, <laughs> it's been it's been seven or so years, and it still bugs me. Not that I want the satisfaction of throwing someone out. Just this guy was this guy deserved it. But I also remember one time in particular, this guy yelled at his center fielder to move in and the batter immediately pounds a triple over the center fielder's head. But other than that, like both leagues I've umpired in San Francisco, little league out on treasure Island, mainly and Burlingame youth baseball association, which is a Bayside park. You know, they're, it's a league where everyone knows, you know, the umpires are former players. You probably know, you know, the kid's older sibling knows them and stuff. It's, a pretty communal feel, so usually people get along pretty well. Try to think of any like really good umpiring stories, and I don't have that much, honestly, in terms of like anything that was memorably good or bad. You know, a couple of just funny exchanges talking with coaches and stuff. That's fine. Uh, I just wanted to know if you threw anybody out. <laughs> but I will say this my evaluation of a good day umpiring changed over the years from, you know, just a matter of making good and bad calls to it's a good day. If I didn't get hit between the legs and it's a bad day if I did. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, I do have one umpiring story. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. was out at treasure Island was that it was about, yeah, I guess four years ago now. And, you know, there's a pitching change. I check my phone to check the score on the Sharks playoff game. Yeah, this had to be 2016. And I get maybe the greatest alert of all time. Bartolo Colon hit a home run. Oh. I told, like, every kid that I could see, Bartolo homered, Bartolo homered. Like, it was one of those I'll never forget where I was type moments. That is, that's hilarious. That was a great moment and probably one of the most unexpected moments ever. Um, I mean, I've seen Ben Revere Homer in person. This tops that. <laughs> Everybody loves Bartolo. That's, that's one thing about baseball. All right, Ethan, thanks for joining me here. Do you want to put in your plugs where people can find you? Yeah, just on Twitter, Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L, M-E-D-I-A, and then prep2prep.com. That's the word prep, the number two, and the word prep again. And our CCS Basketball Awards should be running in the next week. So for all the Reardon folks tuning in that have been waiting to see those come out, they will be out very soon. They're finishing off um, North Coast section soccer, and then we're on the clock. 
Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. You guys, you guys can follow the podcast uh, on Twitter at strikes podcast and on Instagram at throwing strikes podcast. Have a good day, everybody. And thanks for listening or watching.